Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Just six games remaining in the conference slate. We'll get you ready for the home stretch. We'll start by recapping Sunday's 72-52 loss to Cincinnati. We'll also get you ready for a big week at Tulsa on Wednesday and the Memphis Tigers come to town on Saturday. Great show coming up for you right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge Taylor. You gave a new arena your number one ranking in the conference, fifth third arena in Cincinnati, new facility, or at least a renovated facility. So before we get to the game, just your thoughts on the arena and the atmosphere this past Sunday. Yeah, in terms of just how nice the facility was, I think, yeah, absolutely. It's probably the best in the conference. Uh, very similar to Houston, both, you know, brand new uh, the difference is, you know, Cincinnati a little bit bigger, I think about 4,000 more. And, uh, but yeah, super, both of them are really, really nice. I just like that Cincinnati was a little bit bigger. I like that, you know, it didn't look like there was a bad seat in the house. Uh, I think they put in like, uh, 12,400 or something like that. So, um, yeah, a really cool facility. You know, they have the Oscar Robertson trophy or, uh, statue out front. Um, very similar to Dave Stallworth one at, at Coke Arena. And, uh, yeah, as far, as far as just how new it was, uh, you know, the big screen, the LED stuff, very cool. In terms of the atmosphere, a little disappointed. Maybe it's just because it is such a big arena. But, uh, you know, the, the crowd, you know, it was, you know, somewhat loud. But, you know, they got by 19 in the second half. And, you know, the crowd wasn't really going crazy. Um, you know, I thought UConn was louder. Um, just off the top of my head, I thought Memphis was louder. Um, so yeah, that was a little surprise to me because it was a sellout. It was a good crowd. Um, but yeah, just didn't really get, you know, that you're splitting loud, like, you know, doesn't compare to, you know, Coke Arena is still the loudest arena I've been to. So, um, that's in terms of, you know, uh, atmosphere and fan base, you know, Wichita State probably still number one, but in terms of, you know, facility, just how nice it is. Uh, yeah, Cincinnati is my new number one. Moving into the game, a 10-point loss for Wichita State. And if I would have told you going in that Wichita State would out-rebound Cincinnati by nine, you'd have to like their chances. But once again, they struggle to shoot the basketball on the road. Yeah, you know, the, the offense never really got going. You know, they, they looked good early on. I think they got up uh, four or six uh, early, and that was about it. You know, Cincinnati gave them a ton of credit. I was really, really impressed by their defensive game plan. I put a couple videos up on my Twitter about uh, things that they did, uh, specifically um, denying Marcus McDuffie touches. I thought their game plan there was brilliant. They were basically uh, pulling off triple switches every time 
uh, that WSU would run that middle ball screen, and uh, that's kind of their bread and butter play because they they use that center as kind of a decoy and and force the help defense uh, to cover him, and then they kick it out to McDuffie on the wing because his man is always having to help on that roller. And what Cincinnati did was they would, like I said, switch three times, and uh, it was pretty crazy, you know, to see that kind of communication. It takes a lot of, you know, communication, a lot of work, a lot of, you know, just having all three of those guys locked in. And, uh, you know, Cincinnati pulled it off. You know, that's that's an NBA-level defense that they had to pull off uh, to stop McDuffie. So, um, and then, you know, which I'll say they had chances to make them pay. Um, never really got, you know, anything going. They don't look inside very much. Uh, you know, Cincinnati switches everything. So there, there were chances to get to McGuard, to get it to Echenique when they had like a wing on them or a guard even. And uh, never really found a way to exploit the mismatches. So uh, credit Cincinnati, great defensive game plan. But also, I thought Wichita State, this is probably a top three uh, defensive performance for them. Uh, definitely inside the arc, uh, lights out, you know, probably A+. plus. You know, they, what they did to Cincinnati inside the three-point arc uh, was uh, outstanding and something they can certainly build on. We saw Dexter Dennis with a game that he can build on. He has a double-double with 14 points and 13 rebounds, although McDuffie was the only other shocker in double figures with 13 points. And Taylor, you know, we've kind of seen a consistent theme in the game that the Shockers have struggled this year. You know, we know McDuffie is at least always going to be in double digits. Maybe there's one other person that takes care of business, but the rest of the offense kind of disappeared, particularly Samaje Hinge-Jones struggled in this game. Yeah, you know, really Dexter was the only one that, that had a, you know, a good offensive game and really, uh, you know, 11 points in the last four minutes. So kind of too little, too late there. So really... You know, when this game was decided, no one was really playing that well on offense. Maybe Mickard was uh, maybe the best, uh, you know, probably the best game uh, overall just because of uh, what he was doing on both ends. You know, Marcus, he got some good looks. He didn't uh, make them, like Cronin said, after the game. There were shots that he missed that, you know, he's been making this season. Uh, also, you know, a couple forced ones, a couple bad ones. You know, same thing with Samaje. You know, uh, Marshall said it after the game that, was really disappointed and kind of it was just a bad decision making game because uh, you know he he drove and forced some some ones up in the paint and Cincinnati has all those shot blockers inside. Nasir Brooks was just an absolute monster this game on the defensive end. Five blocks, a lot of those came on Samaje and you know what Marshall was wanting him to do was penetrate and then look to kick out or look you know keep your dribble alive, maybe just even dribble back out. But you know a lot of Know, wild shots in the paint. I think WSU had like their second or third worst two-point shooting game uh, of the season, and obviously one of their worst three-point shooting games too. So just not a lot to to like on the offensive end. But like I said, you know the the rebounding uh, absolutely killer in the second half. They dominated Cincinnati on the glass. Uh, the defense uh, really really good all game, except you know losing Cumberland on the three-point line which is, you know, what you can't do. But, you know, like I said, everything outside of the three-point line defense uh, was really good. So uh, some positives, uh, but also, you know, just really tough to watch this team play offense on the road, something they're definitely going to have to work the kinks out. They got two big ones coming up that can really swing their season if they, if they can pull those off. 
Wichita State shot 35 three-pointers in this game. That was the second most, or excuse me, tied for second most in school history. So what what exactly did Cincinnati do to deny the the Shockers' ability maybe to get it down low more? Yeah, I mean, they switched everything. And with Wichita State, they ran their zone offense because they, they viewed that defense as a matchup zone. Uh, watching it, I thought, honestly, I thought it was more of a, a man-to-man because you saw people following, you know, players over the court, and it wasn't like they were staying in a certain area. They were, you know, following people. Uh, they're just super switch-happy. You know, they're switching everything. Basically negates every ball screen, you know, negates a lot of, you know, the actions that Wichita State relies on to, to create those, uh, you know, opportunity basketball plays and, you know, when, when you're not getting any separation from screens, when the screens aren't working, you know, we saw what, what happened and Wichita State just had to, uh, you know, shoot a ton of threes. A lot of them were bailouts at the end of the shot clock. Uh, I still need to go back through and, and look and kind of judge the, the shot quality. But my guess is, you know, over half of those were, were not very good looks from a three-point line. And, um, but, you know, Wichita State, they did have, you know, good looks that they could have made. Uh, but again, just a, a case of you know people not stepping up and making open shots when they needed to. And I think the, the starting lineup was it posted something crazy like a 17% uh, combined shooting from the starting five. So obviously that's not going to get the job done. Um, you know, Marcus and Samaje, uh, not very efficient games. And then the other three starters, I think, were like one for 19 uh, outside of those. So. Um, yeah, just not a very good shooting game. But, yeah, to answer your question, Cincinnati just switched everything. And WSU's had problems with that kind of defense in the past. You know, OU was uh, another defense that switched everything, and uh, that was also one of Wichita State's worst offensive games. This was the first time that Wichita State was swept by a conference opponent since 2013. It was Evansville back then. Producer Brian, can you tell me what happened in 2013? I, I think they went to the Final Four. Not predicting that this year, though. Cumberland goes for 27. Taylor, is he the player of the year? Yeah, you probably have to go with him. I, I love, love, love Corey Davis from Houston. But, you know, Cumberland, this guy is just a beast. Uh, you know, people, I know uh, other fans hate him. He's an easy guy to hate if you're not, you know, playing with him, not rooting for him. But there's no denying, you know, this guy has the it factor. Uh, probably the most unguardable player, him or Sids, also from Temple. Uh, give me Cumberland just because he's bigger. Uh, probably a better three-point shooter, too. So I'm right now I'm putting Cumberland 1, Corey Davis 2, uh, in my my uh, player of the year voting. And then it kind of falls off, falls off after those. I mean, those are two of the, the clearly best teams. So I think it's a two-man race. Yeah, Coach Marshall said on his radio show this week that Cumberland is a player, regardless if you're in perfect defensive position, can get a shot off and can score on you, and that as they go out on the recruiting trail and and look to find future shockers, those are the guys that they need to get on this team. Yeah, you know, Tyson ATN, he's he's in the mold of, you know, an all-AAC guard. I think they're really excited about him. He can uh, get the job done off the ball, on the ball. You know, he can just uh, you know, he's uh, he's just a dude that can go and get his own bucket. You know, when plays break down, you need someone that can uh, just go and get theirs. You know, Marcus is okay at it. I think he's being thrust into a role where, you know, a lot of his shots he's having to force up because just uh, to bail out this offense. And then he gets, you know, unfairly criticized a little bit about 
um, you know, the, the quality of the shots and you still, and you're still shooting, you know, pretty decent percentages, but you know, it's just hard when everyone around you is shooting so poorly, uh, you know, everyone that turns to you and, and that's uh, it's a really tough position to be in, but you know, looking forward to next year, you know, you have Teddy Allen out there. He's, he's going to be a bulldog. You're going to have Tyson ATN. Uh, you know, you have a year of maturation for Dexter Dennis, Eric Stevenson, uh, you know, Etienne in the post has been pretty good. Um, so I think you're going to have more options going forward, but yeah, right now, you know, the Shockers are, are desperate need of, of people who can step up and, and create offense. With the loss, the Shockers find themselves at five and seven in conference play, which is good enough for eighth place in the AAC. The team in seventh place is Tulsa. The team in sixth place is Memphis. So a big week coming up for the Shockers. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get you ready for Wednesday's matchup at Tulsa and Saturday's home matchup with Memphis. Welcome back to South Game Review with Coon and Eldrick. We'll move now into our game preview starting with Wednesday's matchup at Tulsa. The Golden Hurricane are 16-10 and 10 on the year in 6-7 and seven in the AAC, currently in 7th place. Game tips off a little later, 8 p.m. Central Time, and will be broadcast on ESPNU. Just a few weeks ago, Wichita State beat Tulsa 79-68 here in Wichita, but Tulsa is 12-2 and two at home this season, and they've won three consecutive games uh, since that loss in Wichita. So, Taylor, uh, probably the most difficult road game left this season for the Shockers would be this Wednesday. Yeah, you know, uh, you look at Wichita State, you know, uh, Memphis, Tulsa, all these teams that are kind of battling for position in the middle, really, really good at home, really, really struggle on the road. All three of these teams are, are you know, pretty identical. and uh, Tulsa is just a, you know, an entirely different team at home. And, you know, I, I know you, I mean, Shocker fans probably look at that, that lineup and like, okay, we can, uh, we can match up with these guys. You know, uh, WSU had their way with them the last eight minutes of that game, uh, really pulled away. I think they outscored them by like 20 in the last uh, eight or 10 minutes. They were just winning every loose ball, every rebound. And, uh, you know, that you finally saw some play angry in them. And, uh, but, you know, Tulsa's an entirely different team at home. You know, they're shooting lights out from three. That's going to be a, a big point of emphasis for Wichita State is that, that don't give up these kickouts. Don't be sucked into to helping off. You know, you got to stay attached to shooters uh, on the perimeter and, you know, follow what worked last time. You know, they, Tulsa is very, very small. Uh, you know, they have uh, a 6'8 guy that starts at center in Bagnu. And after that, uh, huge drop-off. They don't really have a backup center. So if they can get him in foul trouble, which is what they did last time, you know, you're going to see meat guard. You're going to see Echenique start to feast. Uh, you know, you saw Poor Bear just be, be dominant on the offensive glass last game. So maybe he can get it going. And uh, that's where Wichita State has a huge advantage, is that three-headed monster at center. Can they take advantage of it? We'll see. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the big thing about, you know, Last two road games, if WSU is able to win just one of them, split uh, either at Tulsa or at SMU, uh, really could have you know a, a big impact because as we're going to talk about later, you know the middle of the AAC is going to be so jumbled. So if you can get an extra win, steal one on the road, that's going to be huge for for uh, potential seeding in Memphis for the conference tournament. 
Leading scorer for Tulsa continues to be 6'5", senior guard Daquan Jeffries. He's averaging 13.8 points per game. As a team, they average 72 points per game and allow 70.2, shoot at 45.8% from the field and 35.2% from three. So a lot of our focus these last few weeks, Taylor, has been on Wichita State and the remaining games that they have in their schedule and kind of trying to project out wins and losses based on the matchups. But now we have to start to look at some of these other teams as we come down the home stretch. So let's just start here with Tulsa and producer Brian, feel free to jump in as well. So they're going to play the Shockers on Wednesday, which is tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday night. Then they end the season at Temple. That's a tough road game. Have Tulane and ECU at home and then at Memphis. So out of that, I I think you've just got to look at two and two. I mean, at Temple and at Memphis are are pretty tough matchups. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those, that's what you expect. So yeah, so two and two, and then the Wichita State game, that's going to be the swing game. And uh, what we're going to find out here is that a lot of these teams are going to be nine and nine is what I think is going to happen. And if one of these teams can, you know, steal a win and get to 10 and eight, that could be the difference from, you know, being a five seed or all the way down to an eight seed, eight or nine seed. So um, this is going to be a crucial, crucial game. Uh, you know, Tulsa, like it, like we said, you know, they're they're very good at home, 12-2. and two. Uh, They beat K-State and Oklahoma State, I believe, earlier this season. So, um, you know, they, they're they they're tough to play, and this is going to take a lot from the Shockers. You know, a team that's struggled so much on the road uh, to take that next step. This would be huge for this team. I'm going to say that they're 2-2 two and two as well. I just I just don't see them being able to, to have any success at Temple or or Memphis those teams you know really really good overall particularly Memphis at home so I'm going to agree with Taylor there two and two and Wichita State game that's going to be the that's going to be the the one I, I think the Shockers have to stay out of that eight nine game that's the very first game of the tournament played at 12 central on Thursday at the AAC tournament so whatever they got to do to stay out of that eight nine game uh is going to be advantageous for them yeah, you look at the the difference between you know playing uh, a nine seed and you know maybe that's UConn, maybe that's SMU. Uh, you know those teams are you know dealing with injuries, but they're definitely potent. They have a ton of talent on both of those teams, but you don't want to see those teams in the first round of the conference tournament. Uh, if you can, you know, uh, see an East Carolina or a Tulane, you know that's where the huge drop off happens. So um, yeah, you're right. You know if they can get even a six seed, I think that's going to be huge. Uh, with the matchups and, you know, if they can win that first one in Memphis, you know, get some confidence, uh, you know, crazier things have happened and, you know, going on a roll like that. But yeah, if you want to give yourself the best possible chance, uh, definitely do not want to get matched up in that eight, nine and, and see, you know, a Tulsa maybe at eight, nine or, or like I said, UConn, SMU teams like that. I mentioned the game at Tulsa on Wednesday might be the most difficult road game remaining. On Saturday, the Memphis Tigers come to town, and pound for pound would probably be the most difficult home game these Shockers have remaining. The game will tip at 7 p.m. and will be broadcast on ESPN2. Memphis beat Wichita State in the conference opener 85-74 to back on January 3rd. Seems a long time ago, but the Tigers are only 2-6 and six on the road this season. So, uh, you know, you've already kind of made this point, Taylor, but this group here in the middle, and Memphis being one of those, takes care of business at home, but struggles on the road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They've been, you know, pretty bad on the road. Uh, They did compete pretty well at UCF uh, in their last game, 
took them down to the wire, but still, you know, a loss. And, um, you know, you look at the South Florida game, I think they got down by like 27, uh, like in the first 10 minutes or something crazy like that and uh, rallied back to, to make it a game. But, you know, they just have not got off to good starts on the road. Uh, that's a game that Wichita State has to win. You know, from here on out, they have to protect home court at Coke Arena, and they've done so this year. You know, give them credit. They've they've uh, beaten, you know, the teams in the middle and, uh, you know, played the teams at the top pretty tough. So um, that's a game that yeah, you have to win, especially now when you can, you know, you see uh, maybe a roadmap to an NIT berth or, you know, some other postseason basketball tournament. So uh, if they can get this one on the road, um, you know, I think if you're looking at NIT, you have to win at least one on the road and then, you know, take care of business at home and probably finish this five and one and, uh, and go from there. But, so this is a, you know, it's a big, you know, a lot of implications on this game, not just for AAC's, uh seating, but also, you know, maybe the postseason berth for the Shockers. Their leading scorers are 6'3", senior guard Jeremiah Martin at 17.4 points per game and 6'8", senior forward Kaivon Davenport. And I believe it was Davenport after that loss to UCF who showed a little frustration, said that they felt they had the best players in the conference and the best coach in the conference, but it just wasn't quite coming together. So it'll be interesting to see how they react to the crowd in Wichita on Saturday. If you remember last year when the Shockers played Memphis, it was just once and it was at Memphis. So this will be the first time that Memphis visits Cocarina as a member of the AAC. Or yeah, and you have a little, in the AAC. Yeah, and a little added intrigue as well. You know, Alex Lomax, you know, first time he's going to become coming back to Cocarina. So Curious with you guys, you know, as fans, you know, what, what do you think uh, the reception is going to be like there? You know, do people care anymore about this? Uh, you know, are they going to boo them? Are they going to, you know, give a light applause? What do you think the reception is going to be like for, for Alex? I'm going to say there's relatively no reception. I think it's just going to kind of, he's going to come into the game. No one's really going to care. Maybe a couple people clap, but I mean, or maybe a couple will people will boo, but I think for the most part, it's all water under the bridge. Um, you know, Marshall released them, knew he had a unique situation. Um, I think this team really could use a uh, pass-first type point guard like him, but, you know, it's it's just the way it happened, and I don't think it makes much of a difference. Yeah, I don't think there'll be too many boos, and, you know, there'll be educated fans who know the situation, but I would say maybe, you know, 60%, 70% of the building might not even know the, the story behind it. Um, now, I will say, let's say, Burton gets a block on Lomax or something happens that doesn't go in his favor. There might be a little extra juice or a little extra intrigue to the crowd uh, if that happens, but I don't think there'll be anything malicious or anything like that outside of maybe a random student. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of the gist that I get too. You know, people were worked up about in the off season, but you know, so much has happened since then. Uh, I think you guys are right that, you know, you're on the pulse where, you know, fans, not a big deal anymore. Um, also interesting to look at, you know, compare, I know it's different situations and it's hard to, you know, compare stat line to stat line, but, you know, Jamarius Burton, uh, compared to Alex Lomax, you know, not that far off, you know, Jamarius, especially with that late surge had a couple of really good games there during that four game winning streak and, uh, seeing Jamarius, you know, put up pretty similar numbers, uh, both of them struggling, struggling shooting. Um, but, you know, rebounding, assists, steals, stuff like that, all all kind of similar. So interesting to point that out. You know, obviously Lomax was a top 150 recruit, and Jamari just kind of flew under the radar there. 
not much buzz about him, but he's really stepped up, you know, in a, in a difficult spot for him. Uh, and, you know, I thought he, he's been playing pretty well, obviously not the best game at Cincinnati, but uh, body of work in conference play, he's, he's done you know, a relatively good job. The Shockers are, in effect, one and a half games behind Memphis right now. Uh, two games back in the win column, only one game back in the loss column. Let's look at Memphis's remaining schedule. So they're going to play Tulane at home on Wednesday. They finish with Temple at home, at Cincinnati, and Tulsa at home. Uh, those last three coming after they play Wichita State. So out of those, let's start with Taylor. What what record do you got the rest of the way for Memphis? Yeah, I probably uh, so of those four, I'm gonna go three and one. I think they lose at Cincinnati and uh, win the three home games. Uh, but you know, Temple at home, that's a, that's a fifty-fifty game. So uh, I, I think Memphis has been really good. But you know, if they lose that, you're gonna, we're gonna see a log jam at ninety-nine, and I think you could see four four teams finish there. So that's a that's a game to watch for Shocker fans. That simple Memphis one on, on the 26th. Yeah, I'm going to go with you as far as the likelihood there. They're going to end up with two more losses. I think that they will lose to Wichita State and then the loss on the road to Cincinnati. But what will be interesting is that Temple game because Temple is clinging to the bottom of that at-large bid bracket uh, situation. So they're going to be desperate for proving themselves and certainly a road win against Memphis will move the needle at least a little bit, I would think. So we talked about Tulsa. We talked about Memphis. The other team that Memphis is currently tied with in fifth place is South Florida, also 7-6. and six. And here is their remaining schedule. At Houston, UCF at home, at UConn, at Tulane, and SMU. Your thoughts? Yeah, I see, I see two and three. I think they lose to Houston, UCF, and then at UConn, and then win um, at Tulane and beat SMU at home. And again, you know, if that happens, they're going to be 9-9. So um, <laughs> I think that SMU-USF game, that's another swing game that could go either way. You know, SMU is very dangerous, uh, just no depth. But, you know, they're capable of winning that game. But, you know, I think... I like this uh, this idea that we might see a four-way tie at 9-9. Nine nine. Do you this know what is... the tiebreakers are, Taylor? Uh, for four teams, I would have to look that up. Um, I believe, because um, Wichita State and Houston tied last year, and I think it was record, um, I think it was like how the team did against like the team above them. Or something. I believe that's how it was, but yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna have to look up the four-team tiebreaker, and because uh, yeah, I think I think we have a real possibility that all four of those teams that we just mentioned finish at nine and nine. So this is where I'm gonna differ with Taylor. I think that uh, USF is gonna struggle down the stretch. They had a very light schedule early on, and I think they're only gonna go one and four. I think the SMU game is their Ooh. victory, and I'm calling them to lose on the road to Tulane. I think that that's that's oh, um, that's, that's disrespectful. <laughs> is that's <it>? so disrespectful. <laughs> Tulane just, is so bad. Let's they are. I'm not. I'm well not disagreeing, but done in comparison to prediction. But I can. I can just. I'm. I'm shooting my shot. I think that that's going to be a situation where they've got such a rough back end of the schedule. 
They're going to be taking some losses. I think they're going to go into Tulane. They're going to be like, oh, finally, an easy one. And they're going to they're gonna not be ready to play. And I think that, uh, you know, Tulane will, will hit some shots and all of a sudden they'll figure out a way to finally get that victory. I think of these four teams, I think, you know, you remove the label, you remove, you know, the stigma of South Florida, of, you know, just them just not being very good. They've, you know, honestly been maybe the most impressive team of all these four teams that we're talking about. You know, they, they pushed Temple, probably should have won that game, lost to them at home in overtime, uh, you know, uh, could have beat Temple on the road, another overtime game, pushed Cincinnati on the road. Um, this team is really good. And, you know, Brian Gregory, he has my vote. Um, I don't know if the, you know, AAC is going to give Fran Dunphy kind of the send-off for Coach of the Year because uh, this is his last year. But in terms of just uh, coaching job, I think absolutely Brian Gregory, Gregory has done, you know, the, the best job in this conference just to get them into this conversation. Um, you know, a lot of people had them picked dead last. And uh, for them to just be here is an accomplishment. And um, so that's that's definitely uh, a team on the rise. I think uh, everyone's coming back from that team next year. So uh, it's going to be a team to, to, to watch in the future, but um, like producer Brian said, you know, this is a brutal sketch, a uh, brutal stretch that they're going through, and he might be right, you know, the losses, you know, they if they pile up, that could affect their psyche. Maybe they do drop one on the road, but I, I think this team is better than that. I think you could see them beat UCF at home and uh, maybe surprise us all and get to 10 wins, but um, yeah, they're, they're a team that could fluctuate and, you know, Shocker fans are going to have to be score scoreboard watching these last two weeks, and you know USF is going to be a team to watch because they have so many of these swing games. Let's make some quick predictions, starting with Tulsa Taylor. Let's see. I man, I, I want to feel optimistic. I have a feeling that Wichita State is going to win this game, um, but you know Tulsa opens as a four four point favorite. I think that sounds about right. Uh, so I will go Tulsa 71 to 60, 66. Um, would not surprise me if Wichita State won this game, though. How's that for a hedge? I, mi- <laughs> I mentioned that Tulsa has won three consecutive games since the loss in Wichita. Now, that was Temple at home, so that's a good win, but then at Tulane and at ECU. So it's not like they're necessarily they don't even count. on fire. I will say Wichita State 71, Tulsa 68. And moving along to Memphis, who you got there, Taylor? I think Wichita State gets this one. Uh, Memphis struggles on the road. So I'll go, uh, I think Shockers play um, one of their better games. I'll go 81 to 68. If there was one game from last year that I thought the crowd was really into it and really carried the team, it was the game against Temple at home where they had the big halftime deficit and were able to come back in the second half. And really, uh, I don't know if it's because where I was sitting that game, but really I think that was one of the loudest uh, atmospheres as far as last year was concerned. This year, I look at this game against Memphis as the game that the crowd really needs to bring in. So I hope it's a, a good atmosphere on Saturday. I feel it's such a swing game, uh, not only for the standings, but also you know, kind of catapulting and trying to finish the season on a uh, on a high note uh, heading into the conference tournament. So I'll also say Wichita State wins. We'll say seventy-four to seventy. A fun fact, real quick about that that Temple game. 
was uh, they gave up 56 points in the first half. And then uh, I think a TV announcer has mentioned this, but Landry Shamit, uh, there's like a, a Wichita State logo uh, going back to the locker rooms and he punched it and broke it. And cause he was so frustrated with the half and uh, that's become a uh, stuff, a legend now around, around Coke arena where, you know, he punched it and came back out and uh, lit it up the second half. And, you know, WSU scores 51 the second half. So, um, little fun well, fact there. Uh, so good Saturday by halftime, I'll go in the bathroom and, you know, punch a paper towel dispenser off the wall <laughs> or something like that. See if we can get a yeah. Back in the right Maybe direction. some good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Bye or sell time. Mr. Bryant. All right. So we know that in the game against Cincinnati that uh, Wichita State in the second half dominated. They got to the loose balls. They got a lot of offensive rebounds. They controlled the defensive glass. There was a lot of those hustle plays that Wichita State's really been trying to get on a more consistent basis. They were never really strongly considered to win the game, but that offensive performance was really difficult to watch, just how many missed shots they had. So do you buy that in that game the effort and the fight that the team had was more important than the actual outcome and and making those shots in the execution. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that. I do agree that um, you know I did like the effort. Uh, like you said, second half they absolutely dominated the glass. They dominated the 50-50 balls. My problem with this is that it takes a halftime speech from Greg Marshall. It takes uh, you know Marshall getting into them and uh, lighting a fire under them to get these guys. You saw the Tulsa game too. You know it. It took that 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 timeout for Marshall to to light a fire under these guys, and it shouldn't take that. Uh, you know they should be able to bring that by now. You know this is mid February now, um, so in terms of how important it is, you know give me the shot making, the the shot, you know getting good shots, running good offense. Uh, give me that over over the effort. I think that's more important uh, at this time of year. Although. Um, you know, I, I do, I do like that, that, that is something they can build on, but still at the end of the day, you know, that, that can only take you so far, you know, you're going to have to make shots at some point. Well, first of all, I want to say producer Brian mentioned it wasn't widely expected that or covered that the Shockers could win on Sunday. You know, one of us on this program had them winning and obviously that didn't turn out too well, but I am going to buy it in this case because I think you're really that's what the shockers have to go on right now is intensity and effort. So I think from the first practice of the year coming in up through today, they knew that, you know, it was going to be more of a struggle on the offensive end. And, you know, most of Greg Marshall's teams at Wichita State, you know, take out that, you know, great run there from the final four on, you know, before that time they, they did struggle on the offensive end. And it was more a defensive kind of ugly rebounding, grinded out type game. And so I think if it's going to carry them through the rest of the season, they're going to need that to rely much more on effort and intensity. And, you know, we've seen games like the first half against Baylor when the shots are hitting, they look like they're an unstoppable team. And then we see uh, instances like the first half against South Florida where, you know, your eyes were bleeding after watching all the, the bricks going up. So I, I think the, the offense is always going to be up and down the rest of the year. And so really it's the effort intensity and the defensive nature that's going to carry them if they're going to see any sustained success. All right, now we're going to go a little NBA flavor. We just finished with All-Star Weekend, and we hadn't been talking about Landry Shamit lately. Uh, now with the Clippers, 
Um, he is leading all rookies in three-point accuracy and the second most three-pointers of any rookie, but he was not invited to participate in the Rising Stars game for All-Star Weekend. So do you guys see that as a snub for Landry Shamit? I'll buy that. I think that he definitely had a case. And, uh, you know, you saw when he switched teams with the Clippers, you know, he, he did not, you know, lose anything. You know, he brought it and, you know, he's been a, a stud. And, uh, I think he started his last game right before the break. So um, he has really made a strong impression. I know uh, from being up there, Philly loved him. Brett Brown loved him. Uh, you know, obviously the Clippers, I don't know if you guys saw that clip of uh, the president. Uh, or I think it was the GM talking about how much of an impression Landry made at the NBA draft combine where he was the only, uh, you know, teams are able to pick like six or seven guys they want to talk to and uh, they come in and, and interview them. And Landry was the only one that brought a notebook with him to write down answers, write down questions. And that really stuck with the Clippers. And, you know, they legitimately remembered that, like when they were going after this trade and they, they sought Landry out, they wanted him. And they, they view him as, you know, a building block for the future. So I think he's going to be a starter in this league. And, you know, I think it was a, a pretty big snub, in my opinion, just because of what he's been able to do as a rookie. You know, he's doing some crazy numbers right now. And, uh, yeah, I think looking back, this is going to be a pretty big snub. And uh, maybe they'll do it, uh, correct that mistake next year when uh, maybe he can get in that, that second-year game. Yeah, I'll buy it as well. I've been really impressed with his game, both uh, Boston and L.A. Uh, you know, For a lot of us soccer fans, he thought it was a mistake to leave early for the draft. He's really basically proved everyone wrong and, and bet on himself to steal a line from Fred. Uh, now, what I will say, what I will buy for the future is him participating in the three-point shooting contest because that seems like an event that would be you know just made for him as, as far as shots been going in so far. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna turn back to the shockers a little bit. So this is a little different from the buy or sell, but I'm gonna give you two options. You tell me which one you think it is. But as far as being able to pass the ball, Marshall said this this team just really does not pass well right now. They don't really get good looks for each other. Do you believe that is primarily an issue of not having that true floor general point guard to really organize everyone and execute? Or do you feel like just overall the team, the ball just sticks in players' hands as it moves around and just the collective experience is low enough that it's just hard for them to trust what each other are going to do? Sometimes you'll see somebody make a pass when, you know, thinking there's a back cut coming that's never there, that sort of thing. So which one do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's the, the collective unit. I think even if this team had a floor general uh, you mentioned like if uh, uh, Lomax came, you know, he's the pass first traditional point guard. I think even him, you know, uh, you know, obviously it would help, but I don't know if it fixes the problem because, you know, to be a good passing team, uh, you know, point guard can only make one pass. So, you know, as soon as he passes it on, uh, you got to keep the ball moving. You got to, you know, uh, have that vision, uh, make the, the reads quickly. And right now I think, WSU's inexperience is glaring in that area because it's not just, you know, the passer. You know, sometimes it's the cutter not, uh, you know, making himself available or the post guy uh, not, you know, sealing his man and, and posting up strong. And, uh, you know, it's a culmination of a lot of different stuff right now. I think it's all the root of it is just the inexperience. And 
I think that I don't think one player could solve all those issues. Obviously, it would help, but uh, I think it's just the, the collective inexperience from the whole group. I agree with Taylor. I mean, this team has played 24 games together, so at some point you got to, you know, say it's time to, you know, put the big boy pants on and, and get going moving forward. But uh, every single game, at least every single game that ESPN does, they put up the stat about how many, you know, several hundred different lineup combinations this team has used. And there's really been not a whole lot of consistency from game to game outside of that starting five uh, here on this run that they've been because there's always seems to be someone getting in foul trouble and before you know it, you've got different bodies and, and stuff coming in. So I think they'll just need to continue to grow uh, over time here and, and hopefully that gets better. But I will say when Ricky Torres is in the game, the offense does seem to flow a little better. So to Taylor's point, having a point guard who's maybe a little pass, more pass first would help. All right, and finally, you know, we're we're sitting here. It's February 19th. We finally got a big dump of snow, snow on the city of Wichita, and it took until February 19th. Buy or sell, is this winter just a bit disappointing to you guys? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to sell. I think uh it's been, you know, I I hate winter, so it's it's lived up uh, exactly the expectations I had for it. So I am, I'm ready for the spring, and I'm ready for warm weather. So um, I'm ready for New Orleans in March, uh, Memphis. So c- cities like that, that's exciting. But, yeah, I'm not a fan of the winter, so it's, it's, it's about as bad as I thought it would be. I'm going to buy that it's miserable because it's been so cold. You know, we kind of got used to that, uh, you know, global warming or whatever you want to call it, but it hasn't been this cold in Wichita, it seems like, the last few years. So not only the ice, but the low temperatures and then the snow today. You know, we, we haven't made mention of it, but the reason we're on the phones is because, you know, we like to stay nice and warm in our own respective homes instead of trekking to, you know, the Forge Audio Studios, proud sponsor of talking. So, you know, it, it's been a bad winter, and the shoppers haven't been doing quite as well as they usually have. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment to see so many L's. You just have to make the, the takes that much hotter to, to keep warmer. Well, thanks, Producer Brian. Anything here to wrap up the show, fellas? Yeah, I'm going to be writing. Um, yeah, if, uh, if Wichita State will let me uh, talk to them. Um, I'm still working on that, but uh, trying to, to get uh, Isaiah Porbert Chandler. <clears throat> um, as we know, you know, he's Native American, has a really cool backstory. His family, you know, he's not really into it. He's not, you know, not a big deal to him, but his family um, you know, really, really important to them. So I'm going to talk to his, his mom and about just the, the tradition and uh, his family's uh, heritage and, and Native American. Uh, I have a good Dexter Dennis story coming up when they go to, to Louisiana about his fallen teammate. Uh, if you've seen him on social media, always uh, hashtagging Long Live Malcolm. I'll have a Samaja Hinch-Jones feature for Senior Day. Um, so I, those are the three ones I have on deck. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, I have a good, uh, Jamarius Burton one uh, that I wrote not too long ago, Marcus McDuffie. So yeah, if you guys are interested in, in reading a little bit about their background, uh, be sure to check that out on Kansas.com, a uh, ton of video breakdowns up there. So if you want to learn a little something about, you know, things that you maybe didn't realize watching the game, uh, that's a, a good place to go to kind of, uh, pick up on stuff like that. You know, what went unnoticed was Poor Bear actually had a pretty good game against Cincinnati, had six points and seven rebounds. 
yeah, all in the second half, too. He was a spark plug. And uh, Marshall had a really funny quote today. Uh, I asked him, uh, you know, because uh, Poor Bear's just been so up and down, up and down, and, you know, you never know what kind of, uh, what kind of you know, player he's going to be that night. And I asked him, uh, you know, is this pretty much just the same old, same old that you just don't know which one you're going to get? And uh, he said that, Marshall said that he's been asking him if he's in, in winter hibernation, if he's, you know, foraging for berries and nuts. And uh, <laughs> he went on a nice little rant about bears and hibernation and how to get them out of it. So uh, I might include that quote in there as well. Well, we will look forward to that. Thank you to the listeners for forging on with us here over the phone. We'll be with you next week. The Shockers have a big home game on Thursday against UConn. And then next Sunday, we'll travel to Dallas to take on FMU. Standings will continue to look completely different here as we head down the final stretch. Have a great week. And Taylor, what should the listeners do? Greatest five stars. 